a new week, a new episode of People Are Wild. My name is Kim, and I'm your friendly neighborhood ER travel nurse of a host, back on this Monday, or whatever day you listen to this, to bring you something medically relevant and mildly entertaining. Medutainment Mondays at its finest. Now, something that caught my eye this week was that the best place for diplomacy and international relations, no, not the UN, but the International House of Pancakes, decided to rebrand itself, I suppose, albeit temporarily, to the International House of Burgers, or I hob. Instantly, Wendy's threw shade on Twitter saying that they weren't really worried about a pancake house's burgers if they gave up on pancakes so easily. You know, you really only have one job to do at IHOP. One job. And that's to be open 24 hours, serving pancakes at 2 a.m., and being in competition with Waffle House. Also, just real quick, bless the people out there who eat at Waffle House when they're of sound mind and completely sober. Seriously, though, like one of the funniest things I've read in my whole entire life are the Yelp reviews for Waffle House in any given city, but especially in Arkansas. It's probably on the same tier of reviews in hilarity as the five pound bag of Haribo gummy bears are for the Amazon reviews of that. I highly suggest you read that. Coming back, though, to the rebranding betrayal of IHOP, I see what you're doing. I know that Madonna became Esther for a bit, Beyonce was Sasha Fierce, and Backstreet Boys' own AJ McLean became Johnny No Name. I get it. You're going through a period of self-discovery, IHOP, and I promise I won't make fun of you, but if you're gonna make it a B, how come it didn't become the International House of Breakfast? You know what, though? I need to move on. I'm having way too many emotions about a breakfast chain restaurant that has committed the ultimate act of betrayal and has left me a little bit scorned. But seeing that I'm a wee bit pressed for time this week due to my work schedule, let's go ahead and just delve right into the medical part of today's episode. So I have lit my Justin Hartley prayer candle and listened to Barbie Girl by Aqua on a loop repeat for about an hour, so I'm ready if you're ready to talk about how people are wild. Jennifer Strange probably never intended to have notoriety after she died, but given how she died, it was inevitable. January 12, 2007 should have been an unremarkable day for the mother of three. She might have been humming Beyonce's Irreplaceable as she was doing some errands, and as the song finished up, she had heard about this contest that the radio station was holding that day. KDND 107.9 was holding a Hold Your Wee for a Wee event where participants would compete to see how much water they could drink without going to the bathroom. So, You guys remember what the big toy was when you were younger that everyone had to have? Maybe it was Turbo Man, or a Cabbage Patch Kid, a Red Ryder BB gun, Tickle Me Elmo, Beanie Babies, whatever it was, parents were willing to do anything to make their little ones happy. To make us happy, right? They still are, but maybe in a more evolved way. Just kidding, you know how many ortho traumas we see from people getting trampled and stepped on during Black Friday? People have gotten impaled with high heels through their ears. That's not just something you see on Final Destination, it actually happens. And it happens not quite a bit, but it happens enough for me to mention it. I'll just say that. So back in 2007, the must-have was a Nintendo Wii, which sounds odd considering how prevalent it is now. In fact, I hopped on and a quick search on eBay showed me all these results where the Wii is like less than 30 bucks. Also, a word to the wise, don't look up how much your Beanie Babies you sacrificed a goat for in order to get them for your kids resale at. Seriously, it'll make you want to murder someone. Now, back in 2007, 
Jennifer Strange was bound and determined to get the hottest new gaming system for her family. She and the other participants actually had qualified to do the contest by calling in and recounting to the host the worst Christmas gift they had ever received. Jennifer had recounted a story that she had received a set of flower-shaped champagne flutes, which were wrapped like roses, that shattered immediately upon her opening them. And that punched her ticket to participate in this contest. So as she pulled into the lot of KDND and parked her car that morning, she along with 17 other participants stood by while the DJs and hosts from the Morning Rave program told them all the rules. Now every 15 minutes, all the contestants were given an eight ounce bottle of water to drink fully. They had two minutes to complete it and then had to wait 10 minutes before drinking another bottle. This was gonna be easy thought fellow contestant James. And he said that the contestants were told by the DJs that if they felt like they couldn't do it, to not put their health at risk and just bow out. James quit after drinking close to eight bottles or about 64 ounces, which is about a half a gallon of water. And he decided he couldn't do the rest of this contest and decided to go to the bathroom. But he noticed that when the remaining contestants were given bottles to drink as they continued on with this contest, the bottles had gotten bigger, but the rules stayed the same two minutes to complete it, wait 10 minutes in between. What all the contestants didn't know as they were getting prepped to do the contest was that a nurse had actually called into this morning show and gave the hosts a bit of a warning while on air that drinking too much water is dangerous. And the host dismissed that warning and said that the contestants all signed waivers so everything was fine anyways. Now later it was discovered that the waivers did indeed address some things, but really only publicity issues and it made no mention about health or safety concerns for these participants. Now, as the contest went on, contestants stated that the host would encourage them to drink the water as fast as possible by treating it as if they were doing shots, and eventually a winner was crowned. But Jennifer Strange didn't take home a wee. Instead, she took home second place after downing about two gallons or seven and a half liters of water. As she drove home, she called her supervisor over at the Radiological Associates of Sacramento and said that, her head was hurting real bad and she was having terrible pain and she started getting emotional and tearful over the phone. And that was the last time anybody ever heard from Jennifer Strange. Jennifer's mother would later on go over to her house to check on her daughter and made the discovery that her daughter wouldn't wake up. Jennifer Strange was 28 years old and was survived by her husband and three children. Now the station bigwigs were stunned at this news, especially after it was announced by the coroner that Jennifer had died from water intoxication, which leads to hyponatremia. The station was found culpable in order to pay over $16 million in damages to Jennifer Strange's family. Now you might be saying to yourself, oh, come on, I would just quit and not put myself in that situation. But the thing is, the host did not provide adequate or even any information about the risks of doing this contest, even with a warning from a medical professional prior to starting this contest. So how could you know something is amiss when you don't know the signs and symptoms that something is seriously wrong in your body? Or when you're so close to winning something for your family, why would you want to bow out? In fact, one of the participants who was later interviewed said, quote, none of us knew this could be a risk to our health, end quote. They never had proper forewarning about what to look out for. And unfortunately, this was a tragic result of that negligence. And while this gained worldwide coverage and momentum, it's not isolated in terms of overhydration and water intoxication being an actual thing. 
Now, I never pledged anywhere when I was in college. I did, though, attend Young Republican meetings for a few months because they had really good free food. But after attending the meetings while always having on headphones, I was asked to leave. Anyways, I was never in the sororities, and although I knew heaps of people who were in fraternities and sororities, I just based everything I know off of that whole Greek life, off of Animal House and The House Bunny and Sorority Row, so all three of those movies gave me a horrible representation, I'm sure, of Greek life. So I'm sure I know exactly what is not going on there. But what Greek life tries to distance itself from, I've noticed, is that whole hazing part of pledging and that whole Hell Week thing. And it's probably for good reason. See, fraternities especially are notorious for forcing pledges to stay up all night and do tasks in a belittling way in order to uh, forge brotherhood, I guess. But when a frat kills a pledge, that's crossing a line. And in the wake of excessive drinking causing deaths of pledges, some frats actually decided to modify their hazing rituals by forcing pledges to drink water to the point of excess. And that started causing water intoxication. I mean, you're talking about kids in their early 20s thinking that it's safer than booze, but like alcohol binging, it can be deadly. By the way, I should mention that in doing this research and reading articles about frats that had people die from water intoxication, it referred to fraternities that were quote-unquote rogue who were not associated with the university. So if you belong to a fraternity or sorority, I'm hopefully not talking about you in terms of doing hazing rituals. But in the same article, a pledge was hazed and forced to drink about five gallons of water over the course of an entire night. And they had been kept up all night doing grueling tasks on top of ingesting copious amounts of water and continuing to be pushed to drink this water. So here are the three cases that I had read up on regarding fraternities who had pledges die from water intoxication. So California State University Chico, or Chico State, had a 21-year-old pledge die of water intoxication. And when he collapsed and started seizing at the frat house, his fraternity brothers didn't call emergency services for a bit of time. Finally, when they did, and soon after the pledge got to the ER, his heart stopped, and he was pronounced dead as a result of water intoxication none of his so-called brothers were present in the hospital at any point for him. Moving on to number two, the State University of New York had a frat pledge who was forced to drink so many pitchers of water through a funnel that it dropped his sodium so low that his brain swelled and he died. And our third one happened in Texas at Southern Methodist University. A pledge fell into a coma after being forced to drink so much water. And even after he passed out, fraternity members propped him up and made him drink more. Now, in this case, this pledge was lucky, and he survived after being hospitalized for a week. Now, much like Jennifer's case, charges were brought up against those responsible for carrying this out. But unlike the radio station, these people faced criminal charges and were actually found guilty and served jail time upwards of one year, especially in the death of the case of the Chico State Pledge that died. One year, $16.5 million. It's the value that they placed upon these lives that were lost so young. And it's something that could have been avoided. Because let's talk about what in the hell water intoxication is. Well, much like Prince, it's known by a few different names. Water intoxication, water poisoning, hyperhydration, or water toxemia 
It's all one and the same. And it refers to a life-threatening disturbance in the brain functions that occur when the normal balance of electrolytes in the body is pushed outside of safe limits by overhydration. Now, under normal circumstances, accidentally consuming too much water is exceptionally rare. If you'll notice, all of the incidents described before were the results of water drinking contests for the most part, or being forced to drink big amounts of water by other people. But this intoxication can also occur from long bouts of exercising, during which excessive amounts of fluid were consumed. And also, if you're about that torturing lifestyle, water cure, in which the victim is forced to consume excessive amounts of water, can lead to water intoxication. Also, quick side note, if you're into torture, I'm immediately concerned about why you're listening to this program. Please don't get any ideas about anything from this show except music recommendations. Actually, no, don't do that either. Don't ruin 80s and 90s music for me by having it on while you're torturing someone. I don't want to hear it. Don't email me. Don't DM me. Don't do any of that about your torturing life. Please, I beg you. Moving on. Water, like any other substance, can be considered a poison when overconsumed in a specific period of time. And so water intoxication usually occurs when water is being consumed in high quantities without adequate electrolyte intake. So I guess by that logic, if you eat too much ice cream in a specific period of time, it's considered a poison. Oh, well, that's kind of upsetting. This is actually super upsetting by that development. Ice cream intoxication. Swipe left do not want. But you see water intoxication happening in endurance athletes. You hear about these athletes who collapse at the finish line at a marathon, and it can be due specifically to water intoxication. So when athletes consume large amounts of water and fluids, they dip their sodium levels below a normal point. And before you make this argument, a study actually found that the low sodium level, this hyponatremia, happens in runners who choose sports drinks just as much as it happens in those who choose water. So it's not unusual to see people sucking on salt packets during a marathon to try and balance out their hydration and their electrolyte status so that they don't get into a danger zone of low sodium. And I just have to say, I have ruined some shirts with the salt rings I've left from sweat and had to replace with my own electrolyte packets during a run or a hike and especially in extreme heat and humidity rest in peace to some of my running shirts you were very very valiant in your sacrifice see whenever a person is working or doing activities in extreme heat or humidity for long periods of time they must take care to maintain the electrolyte balance in what they eat and drink even people who are resting quietly in extreme heat or humidity may run the risk of water intoxication if they drink large amounts of water over short periods of time for rehydration okay so if you're like me you secretly not so secretly love EDM, you know, like electronic dance music, you know, the whole I love it. I don't care who knows it. Galantis is my jam in so many ways. So a couple years ago, I went to a music festival and on one of the stages, it only played EDM. And even though I feel like I'm pretty young, I was one of the older people amongst this sea of young people. So imagine me wearing my fanny pack and putting in my earplugs because I'm old and like to preserve my hearing. And as I'm waiting to see cheat codes take the stage, a kid next to me suddenly collapses and starts apparently seizing. His friends try to yank him up while he's convulsing and 
I promptly stepped in to stop that, cleared some space, and stayed with this kid until medical came out to help him further. But judging by what he was doing, how sweaty he was, and how his pupils look, this kid was rolling with the homies. And those homies had a name of Molly. So it brings up this point. People using drugs such as Molly, MDMA, ecstasy, whatever you call it, they tend to overexert themselves and perspire heavily and feel an increased thirst. And then they'll pound back large amounts of water to try and rehydrate, which leads to electrolyte imbalance and water intoxication. And the sneaky thing about ecstasy and club drugs like it is that it also increases the levels of antidiuretic hormone, which decreases the amount of water lost through urination. Your body keeps holding on to that water that you're pounding back thanks to your drug haze. So I just ask that if you like ecstasy, make sure you have a pal watching out for you that's of sober and sound mind. Or if you have a friend who likes ecstasy, watch out for them. Because it'd be a horrible way to go if you were just trying to have a good time and Molly was your demise. So what is actually going on with water intoxication? What is happening in the body? Time to talk some science. Guide me, Miss Frizzle, on this one. So in the initial stage of this condition, fluid outside the cells has an excessively low amount of solutes, such as sodium and other electrolytes, when compared to the fluid inside the cells, causing the fluid to move into the cells to balance its concentration. Everything has to be in balance. Namaste. This means that the cells swell. And in the brain, this swelling is bad news, Bruce, because this increases intracranial pressure. So your brain can only take so much pressure. Under pressure, but for real. It has limited real estate in the skull, after all. If there is an imbalance that causes an increase in this pressure, signs and symptoms begin to emerge that are indicative of something awful happening. Headache, irritability, personality changes, changes in behavior, confusion, and drowsiness will start to set in. So think of it this way. If a person suddenly turns into a dickhead, you got a problem in your hands. No, not that kind of dickhead. Like D-I-C. D standing for disoriented, I standing for irritable, and C standing for confused or combative. So if you suddenly find that your friend is turning into a dickhead, something bad is happening, and you probably need to get that person to medical assistance as soon as possible. With water intoxication, as it progresses, difficulty breathing during activity, muscle weakness and pain, twitching, cramping, nausea, vomiting, thirst, and dulled ability to perceive and interpret sensory information can start to set in. If you were to take the vital signs on a person suffering from water intoxication, you might see blood pressure changes and you might see a lowered heart rate. As it continues, the cells in the brain may swell to the point where blood flow is interrupted, resulting in cerebral edema, swollen brain cells. And these cells may apply pressure to the brain stem, causing central nervous system dysfunction that can result in seizures, brain damage, coma, or ultimately death. Now the best way to correct water intoxication is to pee. And if you can't pee, take a diuretic in order to help increase urination to correct this hyperhydration. But all of this needs to be done under the care of healthcare professionals, of course. So you need to go to the hospital if you feel like this is happening to you or to somebody that you know. Just remember that healthy kidneys are able to get rid of about 800 milliliters to one liter of fluid of water per hour. So make sure you're keeping things in check with your fluid input 
in your urine output. Sometimes with water intoxication and hyperhydration, it causes a low sodium level in the blood to take effect. This combined with low salt intake and salt loss in sweat can set up a person to developing hyponatremia. And this is when the sodium concentration in the blood is less than 135, with severe hyponatremia being a level below 120. Now the lowest I've ever seen someone's blood concentration of sodium come back at didn't even register. It was lower than 100, and the lab testing machines couldn't even quantify the number below that. And for good reason, as most people with that reading are comatose or dead. The patient I had was anything but that though. And so sometimes you figure maybe it's an error in the blood work. Maybe it's a human error. Maybe it's an operator error. So we sent another sample and sure enough, it was still less than 100. And this patient exhibited so many signs of hyponatremia at this point, but they were still conscious, which baffled everyone involved. The patient was confused and altered in their mental status to the point where they kept trying to climb up and out of the bed and go for a walk. But whenever they tried to sit up, they were too weak and would lay down for maybe five to 10 seconds before trying again. They didn't remember they were weak. They didn't even know where they were. Nothing was registering for this patient. They also did a major code brown blowout in the bed and didn't even realize that. So as we're cleaning up this patient, they tried to get up numerous times and ended up covered in their own stool, not realizing any of this was going on. So can you even imagine that? Your brain not being able to tell you that you messed yourself, you defecated on yourself then not being able to realize people were helping to wipe you and cleanse and clean you up and trying to sit up while this was going on, realizing you couldn't because of the lack of strength in your muscles, laying back down, not really realizing where you were, trying to get comfortable, and in doing so, rolling into your own feces. Unaware of all of this because your short-term memory wasn't even there. That's a scarier plot for most of us than any Wes Craven movie. But it's something that happens, and it can, thankfully, be corrected and reversed with prompt treatment in a healthcare setting. So for that patient, they were started on fluids, and there was other medicines that were also given to bring back up these normal levels and maintain electrolyte status, as well as some other things we are working on with this patient. The happy side of this story was that the patient ended up 100% recovered. How they didn't have any seizures in our ER with that low of a sodium still boggles my mind, but I'm really glad they made a full recovery. So this begs the question, what do you do if you realize that someone might be dipping into the land of water intoxication or having low sodium? Well, if you're outside, rest in the shade. And stopping fluid intake is a big thing. And you even need to avoid sports drinks like Gatorade or Powerade or even electrolyte replacement drinks, those too need to be avoided. If the person is conscious and still with it enough to follow directions, try to see if you can get them to eat salty foods. Sometimes by catching things early enough, symptoms may subside a bit, but if you suspect that this is going on, you need to get help for that person immediately. You can't risk things when it comes to electrolyte imbalances in the body. Brain cells are counting on you to act quickly and calmly on behalf of your friend or loved one in this precarious and life-threatening situation. And remember, if you're planning on being outside in hot weather or the like, stay hydrated. Eat salty foods while exerting yourself in the heat and humidity, and watch your intake and output, especially when you're upping your fluid intake. And maybe 
don't enter contests that involve chugging any types of fluids in a short amount of time. And that includes beer and liquor to all you people out there who still think you could pound them back like you did in college. You can actually throw yourself into hyponatremia from excessive intake of booze, so definitely watch out for yourself and anyone else who's trying to just have a good time, bro. So that seems like a good place to actually wrap up this week's episode. And I realize that it's a bit shorter than usual. And I ask that you bear with me because I'm actually working on a project that is requiring me to devote a little bit more time towards my work and professional life for the next few weeks. So some of my episodes might end up being a little bit shorter here and there, but you know, they still give you that minty fresh medutainment feel at the end of the day. So you're welcome. And also I thank you in advance for just being understanding of that. So have a fantastic week ahead. Believe in the good. And I read something very interesting from a amazing author, Lisa Nichols, that I kind of want to pass along to you guys to keep in mind for this week. And she talks about this idea about don't keep serving people and giving from your cup. If you do that, your cup gets empty real quick. And that cues resentment, fatigue, and depletion. You should fill your cup first. And you consciously fill your cup with things that lift your spirit and energize your body. And then you fill it a little more until it's literally overflowing. And then you joyfully give to everyone else from the overflow. You give from the saucer, not from the cup. When we keep giving from our own cup, we are giving away what we actually need. When we serve from the overflow, we are giving from a place of abundance. The way we serve others and the world is elevated from that place. We have much more to give. And the supply is more stable. And it comes from a place of plenty and not shortage. Generosity rather than resentment. Well, hello, my friends. This is CK from the Marths and Monsters podcast, proud partner of the Odd Audio Network. Join me, my companion Finn, and my occasionally satanically possessed cat Ray. Puny models! as we investigate the real truths behind some of the most wonderful creatures you can imagine. Are trolls really that thick? Or is it just bad press? Are leprechauns really drunken bums? Sort of. But there's a lot more to find out. All you need to do is tune in to Marths and Monsters podcast with me and Finn. Till next time, slancha your good health. In. Five, four, three. Hey everybody, this is Danielle. And this is Daniel. And I'm Carla, and we are Hoosier Homicide. A true crime podcast by Hoosiers for Hoosiers, or for anyone that doesn't know what a Hoosier is. Wait, do you know what a Hoosier is? Nope. Uh, nope. Shit. I'll look it up, I promise. We tell true crime stories with some random connection to our home state of Indiana, so come listen. You can also follow us on Instagram and Twitter. Our handle is at Hoosier Homicide. You can also rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes as well as Podbean. We also have a MySpace. No one's come to visit it, yes. (laughs) And for honest to goodness, stay out of the corn. I like the MySpace thing. Yeah, that was good. (laughs) Hey everyone, this is Sarah from Good Nightmare Podcast, a podcast where I like to talk about all things strange and unusual, whether it's mysteries, historical crimes, 
or fairy tale origins. I hope you'll come along for the ride and join me as we delve into some spooky tales. Happy listening. Hi, I'm Diane Horner and welcome to Country Hip Hop, the newest trend in country line dancing. We've seen this hip hop dancing all over the United States and Canada as we've been touring. Now let's meet our hip hop dancers. Heidi. TJ. Susan. Jamie. I think we're ready to go. Let's do some great hip hop dancing. Vaudeville. Two steps, running man. Twist, running man. Twist, scissors. Jump, pigeon, window washer, basketball, big slide, use that left, that's jamming. My favorite part, it uses the running man, and we'll be adding hip rolls to the running man. But first, let's practice the running man. This is the country version of the running man. That's the cowboy hip hop. 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 The entire cowboy hip hop. Let's do it twice more. Cowboy hip hop. This is cowboy hip hop. Now you know the cowboy hip hop. You're ready to try the hip hop. Ready? Go. Out. In. Out. In. Out. Chug. You can even add your shoulders if you want. That's the fun thing about hip-hop dancing. The vaudeville. And a variation on the Roger Rabbit. Moving back and sliding forward. Start having fun with it. Okay. And that step on both sides of the body will develop lots of coordination. Oh, looks great. This is jamming. That's it. The hip hop.